0: Dunkin's new wake-up go-tos mean you never have to choose between breakfast meats again. Now you can get a wake-up wrap with bacon and a wake-up wrap with sausage for $3. That's
1: savory and sweet, crispy and spicy. It's everything you love about breakfast for $3. Wake up your day with new wake-up go-tos. Get two egg and cheese wraps for $2 or mix and match your favorite meats with two bacon, ham, sausage, or turkey sausage wraps for $3. America runs on Dunkin'.
2: Participation may vary. Exclusions apply. Limited time offer.
1: The N-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total di- Diagonal inches of color display. So, why do we give it a curve too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. USA!
0: USA! 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 USA!
1: Thanks for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Good day, good day, good day, everybody. Uncle Sam, Soccer Podcast, Stephen Jotter, and Arman Kafi and Arman, have you ever wanted to create your own soccer league? Just for fun.
0: Yeah, I've done it before.
1: Take your team to the top?
0: Yeah, i football manager.
1: Honestly, if I had the money, I'd start my own English club.
0: I'd start my own team in Dallas. You would? Yeah, I would, 100%. What would you, you name it? What would you name it? Dallas United, SC. No, oh my god. And still your I- and still your idea of lame. the lame. Uh, what's that thing called? The little phoenix-looking thing? Oh, the Pegasus. The Pegasus. Why is it Phoenix?
1: Phoenix. Phoenix. That's a, that's Phoenix, Arizona. Oops. 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 But yeah, um, you
0: know who is doing that? Who? Peter Wilt.
1: Yeah. By Peter the way, Wilt. my soccer club in Dallas would be called Dallas. No City, one cares. And it would be red and blue.
0: No one cares. We're You're saying. No one cares.
1: Um, okay. Just kidding. Thank you. Uh, no, Peter Wilt, a brilliant man and an experienced man with the in U.S. soccer.
0: He's a fantastic guy. He has lots of history, lots of experience, and overall, I think he's the man that can lead a competitor directly to MLS. He he is in this interview. He drops
1: nuggets. Nuggets. And if you go on Nisa's website. He, on the website, There's n- the information provided is limited. Here in the interview, he goes further. And what he wants to create will, to whatever, however successful it is, it's going to create a ripple effect. The more success, the bigger the ripple, ripple effect. It's
0: directly what we talked about uh, Friday when we talked about competition. Mm-hmm. Competition makes everyone better throughout and... It's it's gonna be interesting to see how Peter Wilt does it.
1: Yeah, and I I think it's going to be fascinating. I can't wait. I I can't wait to see his vision and see where it goes because from a media's perspective, a journalist, as a fan, it just US soccer is just getting more and more exciting and it's just getting more and more complex.
0: Oh yeah, I'm excited. We're gonna see. And Peter talks about a lot of this stuff, so get ready.
1: Right now is Rebel Nest Sports LLC partner Peter Wilt, well-known for being the founding GM and longtime president of the Chicago Fire, winning multiple trophies in MLS Cup, a supporter shield, and depending on how you look at it, four U.S. Open Cups. He was 1998 MLS Executive of the Year and Northwest Herald Sportsman of the Year. He's earned six championships rings and a record business growth for professional soccer teams in four different american leagues helped launch seven pro teams recently led the indy 11 and now a a founder of the national independent soccer association welcome to the show peter
2: thank you very much Stephen. i appreciate the introduction thank you very much (laughs)
1: oh you have a quite a history with the sport don't you (laughs)
2: and still growing. I think um, the seven launch teams may actually be out of date. If if you give me credit for the two new NESL teams that helped launch in San Diego and Cal United, that would actually get me up to nine, I think. I have to double-check my math on that.
0: Nine, wow. I mean, you've been a part of many different leagues, uh, men and women. You've been through the start of MLS and Recently in U.S. soccer, we've been seeing – it's been a really interesting in the world of U.S. soccer today. I mean, we saw the men's national team not qualify. We've seen the uncertain future of the NASL. We've seen the USSF presidential race, and now your league is also launching soon too. You've worked everywhere, like I said. What do you make of the current direction of U.S. soccer, and do you like it?
2: Yeah, uh, I I do come from a perspective of being involved over the last three decades, both, as you said, men's and women's and indoor soccer, outdoor soccer. Um, The state of American soccer is one right now that's very dynamic, and that, of course, can be very challenging, but it's also one that presents tremendous opportunity. I think it's a reflection that the sport on a professional level is still relatively immature as a property uh, here as opposed to the rest of the world. And the nature of an immature uh, sports proper is that dynamic um, characteristic. So, you know, dynamic, I guess, is a euphemism (laughs) that can be translated to mean unstable. And in a lot of ways, especially in the lower divisions, it is unstable. I think major league soccer one of its greatest contributions to the sport in this country is the stability it has given Uh, never in the, you know, 120 some years that (laughs) the sport has been uh, uh, going in the United States has uh, at least a professional game been as stable as the first division major league soccer is now. So in that aspect, you do have the stability. It obviously comes with a number of restrictions as a, closed system, and it's something that I'm working to provide an alternative to. And an open system, I think by the very nature of it, has this dynamic uh, quality, which again can be translated into an unstable quality as well. Uh, But there's certainly a lot of benefits that go along with an open system uh, that everyone is pretty well aware of.
1: Now, would you... If if you had gone back to your times say early on with the Chicago Fire, did you, would you have looked at the landscape of today and looked at soccer, would you have envisioned that years ago?
2: No. Um maybe I'm just not <laughs> very uh visionary <laughs> in some in some ways. I wrote an article for Pitch uh, Invasion, um a great long form uh, soccer uh site uh, long form writing. An article about, eh, gosh, less than five years ago, where I predicted what the landscape of American soccer would look like in, I think it was 10 years out. And I made maybe a dozen different predictions on what would happen. I've gone back and looked at that. And some of it does look, you know, very prescient. But I, I, I had a crystal ball and I could see specifically how. Some things may move along. And in other areas, I totally missed the ball. Uh, I think the rapid growth of spectator interest among young adults, adults and the passionate interest that they've shown in the last five years is one that I missed on. I, I could have predicted mm. that happening in 10 or 20 years, but it has really cycled up in the last five years.
0: Let's go back to your time in MLS with the Chicago Fire, bringing them to Chicago, being a, a key part of that. What were some of the challenges you faced? As I mean, the MLS was relatively new. It was, it was just a baby back then. And with soccer, it wasn't really that popular back then compared to what it is right now. What were some challenges that you faced?
2: It was a very different landscape. You didn't have the same uh, communication tools you have now. Um Frankly, you had to do it with traditional media as opposed to online or social media. So reaching an audience was more challenging. Uh, Major League Soccer uh, did not have the, the platform or the acceptance then that it does now. Um, the audiences were small. The audience was smaller. Um, I think the immigration population was less, uh, the young adult, uh, demographic, demographic, mm. the most part didn't mm. care about the sport and the youth market was more, much, 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 much more interested only in participation, not in spectating, uh, primarily because international soccer was not available, uh, on a for our soccer channel basis, like it is now, either on television or online. So those are some of the challenges. Um, I I recall when I started with the fire, uh, before we even had a team name, I went around and looked at every MLS team, existing team, to learn best practices. And what I found is, in almost all cases, I learned the worst practices, what not to do. It was uh, D.C. United that because um, they've been around along with the other original 10 teams they've been around for two years. And it was DC United and Kevin Payne's leadership where I learned what to do. Uh, they got it from the beginning in terms of its uh, connectivity uh, to the community, the emotional connections to the, uh, the fans that were needed, the authentic way to present the game. Uh, and, I took a lot of those lessons and brought them to Chicago. And the the fan base in Chicago responded very well. And then on the field as well, obviously, I took D.C. United assistant coach, hired Bob Dudley, and um, together we put together a product on the field that was one of the most entertaining in MLS history to this day. And that also helped uh, the tremendous fan response in Chicago.
0: Also in Chicago, you also helped start the Chicago Red Stars as well. What was that experience like in the NWSL after spending some time, uh, a, a big chunk of, chunk of time in the men's game?
2: That was a wonderful experience, uh, both in terms of the Red Stars uh, as a team and then launching, assisting with the launch of the league overall um, with WPS. It was the second attempt at high-level professional women's soccer in America after USA bombed out after three years. Uh, WPS thought we learned the lessons uh, from USA, which was mainly don't spend so much money uh, on, 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 on front office <laughs> labor, on, on field labor, yeah. on marketing, advertising, promotions. And so we scaled back. We scaled back pretty much everywhere, uh, but we learned pretty quickly we didn't scale back enough, uh, especially in the on-field labor aspect of it. Uh, the women drove a pretty hard bargain, and the league was not able to absorb the expenses. The owners of the second go-around in WPS as opposed to WUSA did not have as Deep pocket, in general, as the WUSA owners did, uh, they had more passion, more interest in soccer. Found was mainly cable television uh, owners. They had the deep pockets, but they didn't necessarily have the passion uh, to sustain the losses. Um, and you know, the good news is, at the end of it, more lessons were learned, and US uh, Soccer stepped in to assist by offsetting the high labor costs by absorbing the U.S. Women's National Team costs and reduced the overhead considerably with NWSL. I think NWSL now has a very good slow-growth approach um, and is heading in the right direction. Now, their challenge is down the road a little bit in that they have a new generation of owners with deeper pockets uh, while they also have a few old generation uh, team owners whose pockets aren't as deep. And at some point there may be a conflict um, um, resolving how those disparate type of ownerships are able to compete in the same league. Um, It's essentially a, I'll call it small market versus large market uh, competition, but it's not based on the size of the market. It's based on, the, the net worth of the investors. Mm. Uh, but you have more and more MLS teams now that are seeing the upside of owning a women's team, um, including revenue opportunities for sponsors and merchandise and ticket sales, uh, but also programming opportunities for the stadiums, for the venues that they operate. So I think the future of women's soccer is really bright. My experience with uh, the Red Stars and WPS was one of the best Experiences I've had in my career. Um, and it was a true startup, not only for the team, but for the league.
1: For the league. Well, I found it really interesting because I currently live in uh, Madison, Wisconsin, and you helped actually try to bring in an MLS side to Milwaukee. Just talk about that experience and the challenges. I think it would have been real fascinating to have, you know, a, a soccer club, especially an MLS side, two hours north of Chicago think that could have been a real interesting dynamic to MLS, especially in today's MLS.
2: Yeah, Milwaukee is a pretty good soccer market. It's an, a traditional uh, market that uh, had its soccer birth uh, from immigrants, uh, European Im- immigrant communities, especially German and Polish. Uh, mm-hmm. And if we could have gotten the team launched, I think it would have done pretty well. It. Um, has Strong support of the State Youth Soccer Association. We had actually negotiated an agreement for them to be a minority owner in the team in exchange for a program that would build season tickets in with every, um, uh, with, with, with the membership. Uh, so it would have had a strong foundation, a good base of support, and it would have been great. And the plan was to build a Stadium, soccer-specific stadium in uh, downtown Milwaukee on this land that had been freed up when a a freeway spur had been taken down and use it as the uh, linchpin for uh, a mixed-use development with commercial, residential, and retail development around it. Uh, The mayor uh, and some other civic leaders thought that was not a good use of that property and uh refused to zone it for us and um funny thing uh you know a decade later there's a brand new basketball arena being built there uh as a linchpin for a mixed use development with commercial residential and retail funny how that works
0: yeah it it is no it is but peter i mean you've Help start many teams, and I want to talk about your another team you helped start with the Indy Eleven. You you started them uh, in the NASL. What are some differences between starting a league in the top league, which was MLS, and your Chicago Fire, and the lower divisions such as the Indy Eleven in the NASL?
2: Yeah, there are certainly differences between those two experiences. I think more than the difference in the size of market or the, the level of play okay. of the divisions. I think the bigger difference is when they were started. Um, there is about a 15-year gap. And when we launched Indy 11, the times they had changed, <laughs> and for the better for soccer, uh, the, the market was there. If yeah. We had a – I don't want to say manufacture the market with the fire – but we had to work harder to find it. In Indianapolis, it was already there, in, you know, specifically in the form of the Brickyard Battalion. Uh, this group of soccer fans had uh, organized in Indianapolis on Facebook and uh, created uh, a marketplace. You know, It was about 80 members, I think, by the time I was brought in to, you know, to kick the tires for the eventual owner, Sal Ozdemir. And those 80 people uh, were passionate about it. And we were smart enough or lucky enough uh, to give them the leadership in this and say, this is going to be your team. Uh, A little bit along the lines of Sons of Ben in Philadelphia. And we said, we need your help. This is going to be your team. Sports, after all, is tribal. And by connecting the Brickyard Battalion, they were able to do the, the promotion, the marketing, the grassroots, uh, and along with me, the outreach to hundreds, if not thousands, of both individuals and groups that had a passion, not just for soccer, but for Indianapolis. And we made that team resonate as a representative of Indianapolis. So whether you're a soccer fan or not, you end up supporting Indy 11 because of what it represented. And I I talk about that because that was our way of marketing and selling tickets. Uh, We didn't really have that chance as much with the Chicago Fire 15 years ago. Um, There was a group, the Barn Burners, that existed, and ultimately they became the passion uh, and the noise inside the stadium at Soldier Field along with the polish ultras uh, but as far as marketing and promoting the team the barn burners did not have the effect on fire attendance um in terms of the launch phase like the brickyard battalion did and we needed that in indianapolis because we didn't have the same budgets that a major league soccer team had in chicago you know we had a seven-figure marketing budget. (laughs) That's uh, amazing. In uh, Indianapolis, I don't think we even had a (laughs) six-figure marketing budget. I think it was more like five figures. It was all grassroots. But the times had changed in terms of the audience being cultivated, um, again, because of uh, televised soccer, um, FIFA, the video game. The generation that grew up playing the sport was not watching the sport um but also uh because of the media to reach them had changed and our um, avenue had changed I, I i've always done the grassroots thing the, you know talk to the community and the fans right. but in indianapolis it was to the nth degree you know it was um morning noon and night we were meeting with uh people and forming partnerships with civic, social, government, charitable, cultural organizations to partner uh, with, with Indy 11. So by the time, uh, boy, we sold 7,000 season tickets and cut off season ticket sales five months for our first game. Wow. And we did that with a two, two ticket sales people. They were more order takers. Because we had created an environment that people wanted to be part of this, and they were calling calling us. Um, so that was really strong, and I think it reflected the success that some of the other markets in the country were having, Portland, Seattle, in particular, you think of that, mm-hmm. um, some of the newer uh, MLS 2.0 clubs, uh, w- we did use uh, some of those. Um, I, I guess outreach uh, patterns in Indianapolis. So that was really a fun one. It was a real family we put together, both on the field, uh, off the field, in the community. Um, something we anyone who worked on that project is very proud of. What
1: do you, what do you make of the switch from NASL to USL with the uh, Indy Eleven?
2: Yeah, that's a, um, a tough one. And I know herself struggled with the, the decision. I think it's uh, necessary. Um, I think it's, it's good for India 11 in the short term. I think uh, it will get them out of the drama that they've been in in the last two years because of the NAFL. Mm. And frankly, that drama was exhausting for everyone involved. It's very difficult. And I I credit Indy 11 and Ursal for staying strong and committed to NASL as long as he could. Um, I wish there was a better alternative for him um, that would provide him with a more authentic uh, model. Uh, With NISA, we're obviously working on it, and it's coming unfortunately i don't think it came enough uh for for indy uh but there's a lot of positives for indian usl specifically the rivalries with cincinnati and louisville and st louis uh, a number of close rivals and close road trips that will ramp up uh the passion uh among the fans well, I mean-
0: When we talk about the NASL, it's almost hard not to talk about the lawsuit between the NASL and the USF. What do you make of what's going on uh, over there? And do you think that the USSF overlooks uh, the other soccer divisions that aren't named MLS? Um, I guess there's a couple different questions in there. Uh,
2: I I, I feel for the NASL because I think they've always been the redheaded stepchild that hasn't gotten... Uh, either the respect or the support of um, the federation that they desire. Um, I think they brought some of it upon themselves, I suppose. Mm. Um, It's uh, a difficult situation, and Mm -hmm. um, I don't know enough about the specifics of the lawsuit or enough about law, for that matter, to predict how the suit will play out um but I I do think to your second question that um they're you know outside of MLS and then by extension I guess USL um the Federation has not um done everything it could to assist um leagues and teams outside of those two mainstream structures. Uh, and again, some of it is brought upon themselves. I, I think uh, some of these independent leagues um, act independently and in a way where maybe they shun um, acceptance from the establishment. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm making any sense there, but um, one of the ideas of NISA, um, not one of the ideas, I think, the core idea of MISA when it started was to give relevance to these outside independent leagues, uh, specifically NASL and NPSL, which I viewed as island leagues that had relevance in the markets they were in, but other than that, there was no relevance. There's no connection right. to anything else, and the idea. Of Nisa, as we first proposed it to the leadership of the NASL and NPSL in I think it was November of 2016, was to connect the two of them and promotion and relegation um, create synergies uh, for commercial development uh, and link give them three leagues that would be connected and, and provide relevance. Um, that kind of fell by the wayside as the NASL, uh ran into its sanctioning troubles, and um, now we're left to pick up. Uh, there's some really good pieces out there uh, in NASL, in MPSL in right. other leagues. We're working very hard to connect those, and uh, we're hopeful that before – the U.S. Soccer Board Meeting in February, uh, will have some exciting announcements to make where we'll be able to connect, uh, put those pieces together and start filling out that vision that we've been describing, that open system pyramid mm. that can start with a third division level and a fourth division level and then soon add a second division level and keep the eyes on the prize down for the first division, even though it right. sounds so way out there. I, I do think it's, it's very possible. Uh, and create the skeleton, this model that mm-hmm. limits or eliminates barriers to entry. So it's a true open system, while at the same time uh, making ambition limitless. And if we. Can do that, we'll have something pretty special that will be attractive to fans, players, coaches, sponsors, broadcasters, and right. investors.
1: Now, with the creation of NISA, so this, this happened June 6, 2017. Um, are you looking to compete with MLS and USL, or is there sort of down the road hoping to combine? Yeah, I, I think it's
2: folly to think that um, USL or MLS could be part of this open system when by definition a closed system, their, their ownership structure doesn't allow it. Their vision, their plan doesn't allow it. And so by that definition, the NISA alternative pyramid will be competing with them. It's a different pyramid. Um, Investors, teams, coaches, players will have another choice. You know, Nothing says that they in the system or that system, but there'll be another option uh, that they can uh, take advantage of.
1: Have you had any thought into the connection with the open system with the USSF presidential candidates?
2: Uh, well, Nisa has endorsed Eric Winalda uh, because that form most closely mirrors um, Uh, Our vision. Uh, There's other candidates that support promotion relegation, uh, a more open system, uh, but really Eric's is the one that really closely uh, reflects what what we're doing, and uh, we've talked quite a bit about it. I spoke on his behalf at a town hall in Chicago uh, on January 6th, and we feel very good that if uh, he's able to be elected, it will smooth the way for this open system uh, to become a reality.
1: Is the big draw of your league the promotion and relegation?
2: There's more to it than that, of course, but right, that is right. kind of what gets close to the headlines. The elimination of entry fees, elimination of territorial rights are also important. Our advocacy and assistance for those who want it to have fan ownership initiatives uh, so that part of a team can be owned by the fans themselves is part of this. But really, having this open to any club in the country that can be they can be part of it, and they can end up at any level within that structure, uh, based on how they perform on the field. Um, certain minimum standards, which right now are set by U.S. Soccer, have to be adhered to. Uh, but in that context, if you win your level the next year you get to play one level higher and you can keep on going uh, to the top level of of, uh, soccer in this country.
0: Peter, what markets are you hoping to to expand into? I mean, are you trying to go into some markets that MLS is already in or are you trying to go to markets that MLS uh, isn't in?
2: Uh, There's really any market uh, in the U.S., for an open system, it can work anywhere, uh, just like in the rest of the world. Uh, and that's why we, we eliminated the restrictions on ter- territorial rights, uh, because the best thing that can happen to a soccer team is to have another soccer team open down the street. It adds a rivalry. It adds passion. Um, it incentivizes, uh, quality. Um, you know, we have, um, teams in small markets like Chattanooga that want to be part of this, and we have teams in large markets like Miami that want to be part of this. It can work uh, at any level. Obviously, larger markets have more access to uh, more revenue through more ticket sales, more sponsor sales, more broadcast revenue, and just like in the rest of the world, it's the larger markets have an advantage to raise more money and spend it on players and then be promoted higher. But it doesn't mean you can't. We absolutely will be our versions of the Green Bay Packers in this model. Right. And Chattanooga is the one that kind of makes sense as you look at it, mm. but I don't think Chattanooga will be the only small market team that will have ambition and will want to have the opportunity to grow and gives that opportunity. And also, you know, part of the fan ownership initiative is to create opportunities for the fans to build roots for these teams in their communities. So they'll not only be more successful because of those connections and ability to become part of the fabric of the community, but if the roots are there, the team cannot move, nor should it. And so that's another aspect of this league i think that's uh taking hold with fans across the country
1: now you're looking at trying to expand to 24 teams uh, and on the nisa website you have um a plan of doing that in four years is that are you still gunning for that four years to expand to 24 teams it's
2: actually i mean a couple things one the total number of teams we're looking at is 128 uh 20 in the first division, 20 in the second division, 24 in the third division, and 64 in the fourth division. Uh, and uh, the market will decide how quickly that happens. Um, right. we, we could very well have um, a dozen uh, or more teams in the third division when we launch in 2019. And we should have at least one regional uh, fourth division uh, division set up in 2019 with 18s. And I could see having two or three. Um, so your question about four years, yeah, I mean, it's obviously kind of a stick in the ground that we aim for. Um, I, I think it's a very realistic. I think it could actually be quicker than that.
0: Wow. So, I mean, talking about that, what exactly is the timetable for the league and when can we expect the first game to actually take place?
2: The short answer is spring of 2019, at their stated goal of launching. That being said, if some things fall in place over the next couple of weeks, uh, there would be a chance to launch after the World Cup in Mm -hmm. 2018. And perhaps there's some momentum now to switch to a European schedule. And, um, Launch in, in the fall, essentially or late summer of 2018, and go with a fall-spring calendar.
1: Well, it's it's amazing to to see U.S. soccer just change it before our eyes. I mean, we are. I love in, this idea. I mean, I, I mean, from a, a fan's perspective, taking the journalists out of us, this is very fascinating because it's not creating three leagues with a small amount of teams. You're looking at 128 teams here, so it's definitely uh going to be interesting to see how this collides with mls US yeah. and us well and
2: importantly importantly two guys it, the vision is to connect it to the top amateur leagues in the country the foundation mm-hmm. mm-hmm. of hundreds if not thousands of adult men's teams of varying qualities that will have their own tiers and their own uh, promotion and relegation that will connect to these four professional tiers right. and so their foundation is uh, almost unlimited.
1: Well Peter we don't want to take too much of your time we just want to thank you so much for joining us. It's our shameless plug here so where can we find you? Where can we uh, get connected with NISA for our listeners?
2: Our website is N-I-S-S-A official. Nisaofficial.com, com, Nisa On social media, we can be found on Twitter at NisaLeague. And I'm at PeterWilt1. Well,
1: thanks again, Peter. Thank you, and, Peter. And uh, best of luck with the league.
2: Thank you, guys. Take care.
0: Let me tell you something, Stephen. What? If this goes as Peter Wilt plans, and like I've said, I've told you off the record many times that Peter Wilt is one of the most underrated soccer people in, I would say, the nation in terms of his visions and what he helps to bring in his experience. If this happens, and let's say down the road, you see Nisa rise up as a direct competitor with MLS. That, this is so fascinating. Like, I mean, we, sh- the website is not – I
1: have to say the website's kind of confusing on their vision. I'm a little confused because they want to com- create promotion relegation through the systems. But I guess they want to co- create a first division that competes right as- alongside MLS. It's
0: almost like there's two different pyramids. Yes. Do you understand what I'm trying to say? No, I do There's one that involves me, MLS and uh, USL, and they're kind of allies of sorts. And then you look and you also have the other one, which is the one with NISA. And if that happens, I mean— You know what this is good for? Competition.
1: Youth development.
0: I mean, absolutely. Because
1: now you're having multiple leagues.
0: and I mean, to be straight up with you, like I said, if this works out like Peter Wilt wants it to with what, 128 was it? eight. One
1: twenty yeah, like twenty twenty. So I, yeah, I, it I was, don't remember. Yeah, it was twenty twenty four. Yeah, I think it's a lot. Yeah. It's, I think it's the first four leagues in England is one hundred twenty
0: eighteen. It is, it is fascinating. I think if it can get going, and I do believe Peter will can get this going. I mean, we we heard his experience. I've read and seen about his vision. He has a concrete plan.
1: Yeah, I mean, Chicago Fire, India Eleven, the Chicago Red stars. Red stars. I mean,
0: he's done a lot. He's done a lot. I do think this can take off. And if it takes off, it might be scary.
1: What it it needs is a little bit of press and the financial back. It needs a
0: big boy owner to get in there, you know? Yes.
1: And I'm interested to see if the Cosmos or Miami FC with Silva, these rich owners, will want to get into this.
0: I mean, with Silva's uh, role in, like, uh, TV you some stuff I mean it would
1: be perfect because you'd have two cosmos would be into this weird division right the cosmos and the, and, and NESL would pretty it's, I think it's gonna fold but by going into the NISA – hopefully not but hopefully not you know pending re- litigation by going into Nisa you are taking history you are taking rich owners who want to create this is I I if I were Peter, I'd go straight to them and be like, come on board. <laughs> yeah, but seriously, I would, I would. the foundation of the league would be founded on those two clubs. And then you'd, you'd instantly create uh, something. A buzz. A buzz. You'd have at least name recognition with the Cosmos. Miami FC, everybody kind of knows. But think about it. They also are going to compete in the U.S. Open Cup
0: and they also and what will, does, yeah and they also will compete if the owners have pockets i mean if the if nisa if nisa grows up a little bit i mean and like get gets bit quick if RMT pockets want to bring in a, a player from a star league what are we looking at a legitimate direct competitor with mls
1: what do you, what do you think mls is doing right now i think i think they're worried the ussf i don't presidency? think mls is
0: worried. i think mls is too cocky to be uh, to be worried I think I think I um, think they're seeing this and like, oh, it's a little thing. It'll end up dying
1: off soon. I think from a fans perspective. Now I, I want genuine soccer fans. And I mean those who I think promotion relegation is becoming more of a topic of of an understanding of what soccer culture is, the business aspect and how we are going to compete as a nation on the international level. It seems like promotion and relegation system is needed. Andrea Pirlo. I mean, multiple players. Andrea Pirlo has said uh, an open system would be wonderful. I, did, I, I am interested to see if Peter will, if, depending on how this goes, if they will merge at some point.
0: You Kind of like the uh, AFL and the NFL. Yeah, like, yeah. It were, it, it, remember the, yeah, how. I remember Lamar Hunt uh, created the AFL, I want to say, the Dallas Texans that moved them to uh, Kansas City. And you had them merge, and now they're. The NFL, NBA, and ABA. History is, tends to repeat is, itself. Is there? Is there? Didn't the MLB have some kind AL
1: of AL and NL, the American League and the National League? I mean,
0: the
1: way now I'm not, I'm not Let me it. say I'm <laughs> not. I'm not a historian with the baseball case. Okay? I mean, I like the Red Sox, but God, let me tell you, baseball. <sighs> I mean, hey, if that happens, I mean, it takes I find a, it fascinating. Th- I, but when when he said 128 teams, both of our, our Eyebrows, literally.
0: I mean, now we can actually see each other. Like we yeah, both yeah. had the same reaction. Like, just wait a... a minute, this is
1: interesting. Now, like at first, at first, I thought this was going to be something among the lower divisions. Maybe they'll get as high as division.
0: Oh two. no, this is Peter Will. He looks far beyond that. He's a very insightful man. It's that's, that's something I've learned through reading his history, reading his posts, reading his vision. He is the one guy. I think yeah. that can help establish a promotion. That's why I asked that question. Has any candidates reached out to you? I think his vision is the one that you can implement. It's a very realistic vision. And it's something, you know, NISA, all, all this. I mean, like I said, I'll be honest with you. If they can get the proper press, which they won't because soccer isn't that big of a country. But if they can. Well... It, it depends on the owners, but
1: they what they need to do is go after young kids, like us. But no, okay, no, no, but <laughs> yeah, okay, young kids like us from the media. Are you talking point, about like, uh, the players, terms of players, players wise, yeah, yeah, yeah. you go young and you go do what MLS is. You start poaching because what Nisa, the biggest advantage Nisa will have is they're probably going to smaller markets, and I think soccer tends to thrive off that community feel so i wouldn't be surprised if they tap into san antonio austin texas columbus depending on what the crew
0: if the columbus lose the crew i it, it's a guarantee i think i mean i'd like, be in there
1: i can name listen i'm listen, name i could name 10 markets right now name them i think you if i were in peter okay all we're, right we're you know one you know one place i would target where right here Dallas. dallas yes you go after you go somewhere else in the Dallas. You put pressure on. The, this will make MLS better too. By the way, depending it's on competition
0: where is the basics of economics. Austin, Texas. Why Austin?
1: Depending if MLS goes or not goes.
0: If they go, no Austin. If they don't go, Austin. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Louisiana, either like a Baton Rouge, Shreveport, Baton Rouge
1: or um, New Orleans. New Orleans. You you have that you need something down there that French Quarter. I mean, think about they they only have football and basketball.
0: Yeah, no baseball, no hockey, no nothing. So
1: why not soccer?
0: Interesting proposition, right there.
1: South Carolina, Charleston. Yeah, you go there. Um, Let's see. That's wow, ten markets. (laughs) (laughs) I know. I'm trying to. Somewhere in, The problem is you have Nashville come up, so everything's going to be focused on Nashville. I wouldn't touch Nashville just because they're new.
0: Oh, why would you? I wouldn't touch them either.
1: Create a club in Chicago, Milwaukee, or Madison, depending on that. In minute. that area? In that area. Um, we did Ohio. Somewhere in New York, I think Buffalo's on their radar.
0: Buffalo wouldn't be bad. Hit
1: Boston downtown before the Revs do.
0: The, Re- the Revs won't. Revs are in mean, Rhode Island, so I mean...
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a report that Kraft wants yeah, to build so, a... I mean,
0: I don't think they have to worry about that. I mean, either Boston. Providence
1: or Boston, downtown, mm-hmm. depending on where the revs go. You built one there. So, I mean, it's six or seven thing. but these are markets that you have to think about. And from Nisa's perspective, I hope they don't sh- overshoot themselves. Like, they need, they need to know, and I think Peter knows because he was I mean, there. We talked
0: about the whole Indy 11, like, how... But he was there with yeah, MLS there. early on,
1: and he saw that through with Chicago Fire. He was successful at Chicago Fire. But Indy Eleven is even a better example because that's lower division. This is you know it's easy to promote top division soccer because this is the best league in America. But when it's not, and you have to you sell out
0: what seven thousand season tickets, bef- five
1: months which before the play, think,
0: which I think people have to understand that's huge, massive. That's absolutely that's. That's unbelievable, to be honest with you. I have to say that because 7,000? I mean, that's a lot. Hey, if they make a Dallas, I want to be, be in. I want to be in and bring in but that, I The most fascinating
1: part – the thing is the most fascinating part is not the talent on the field or the stadiums. It's the fact that you have clubs being able to get promoted and relegated. And we talked about this the other day, Armand. You know what league in America is best structured right now for a promotion relegation system? We talked about this baseball. I mean, baseball. it would take a lot of work, but the structure... The structure uh, is there. Infrastructure is there. It's just changing a couple of rules and... A couple of rules. You
0: have changed everything almost in...
1: Almost everything, but it's a lot... It's Honestly, it's easier than MLS and U.S. soccer. Unless you create a system like Peter is from the beginning.
0: Peter the is creating a new league and essentially a new pyramid. A new so, pyramid. So, I mean, let's be honest here... That's tough. I, don't, I think, like like we talked about baseball, I think is the best structure. But I mean, what Peter has is honestly great. First off, thank you, Peter, again for joining us. It was fantastic. Yeah, I mean, yeah. that was enlightened. Honestly, I I truly love the idea of because people always say, oh, well, you see, Alexi Lawless on the tweet. Oh, if you don't like MLS, let's have another product come out. What the people choose. Mm. Well, crap. What the people choose. Nisa or MLS. I, and w- and I'm excited. I
1: mean, as a fan's perspective, I'm I, I'm intrigued.
0: Especially with the switch, they want they might want to play in the uh, FIFA. Oh, window. and
1: that another huge thing—a European calendar. Wow. I mean, progressive over here. No, but as a fan, from a fan's perspective, it's intriguing. Even as a journalistic perspective, for me, it's
0: intriguing as someone a part of the media. I'm 100 yeah, percent intrigued. Yeah, as a, a
1: media media member, I am. You you sit there and you're like. This is Peter Wilt. This isn't some nobody. This is somebody with $10 billion showing up going like, all right, let's create. No. This is somebody who's worked with U.S. soccer from – it just has a ton of experience within uh, U.S. soccer. Sorry
0: to interrupt you. So we're looking on the NISA website. Eight teams who submit an application. Charlotte, Chattanooga, Connecticut, Miami, Milwaukee, Omaha, Phoenix, and St. Louis. Yeah.
1: Get ready for more because I think as it creates buzz, um, for example, Dallas, you know
0: a good owner? Mark, mark Cuban. Cuban. So, or Jerry go.
1: Jones, even. But uh, follow us on Twitter at Uncle Unc Sam Soccer Pod. It's
0: our last episode in person. For a while. Uncle Sam
1: Soccer Pod. Stephen Jarder and mark Behind the scenes, Jake Watroba. And uh, yeah. See you later.